Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello, welcome and a very happy new year. It is episode 110 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley and helping me steer this ship towards the year 2014. David Cameron Walker is here. Hello. And so is Carl McQueen. Hello there. Did you have a good Christmas, boys? That's the first question. It's all right. Ate a lot. It's fine. Anything, it's okay. cr- anything football related in your Christmas presents? Um, well, hands up if you got yes. the Alex Ferguson autobiography. <laughs> yep. I got, I got it with my birthday the month previous. Um, okay. I got The Nowhere Men by Mike Calvin. Excellent. On um, scouting, which I'm looking forward to getting stuck into. Okay, no, I got no. To, I got a, not a serious book as that called Up Pompeii, which is oh, a book yeah, uh, about um, two men who go and manage the world's worst international football team um, with hilarious <laughs> results. This is like in the middle of the Pacific yes, like Ocean. Ocean yeah. yeah, just randomly kind of pick it having found it on Wikipedia can I say you didn't get anything football related to see where this is going football related for Christmas shameless audible.co.uk slash going up you can get yourself a football related Christmas present on there an audio book uh, all thanks to audible free one month trial you've got uh, over 80,000 to pick from so uh, go to audible.co.uk slash going up right coming up on the show this week then we're going to take stock of the season so far we're officially as we record halfway through most teams have played 23 games you might be listening to this after New Year's Day in which case 24 I dare say a lot of those teams will be looking out for new players in the January transfer window as well. So we're going to uh, focus on one of them who's been heavily linked to a move away from Bradford City. That's Naki Wells. We're going to speak to Dom Newton-Collins from the brilliant Bantams Banter podcast and celebrate, arguably, I'd say, um, the Football League's team of the year, team of 2013 there. Stunning achievements last season, Bradford City. We're also going to catch up with Joseph Clift, who's the co-editor of the website One Foot in the Game. He's going to fill us in on the Football League's recent... They do a podcast. They've got to do a podcast <laughs> what's for the music just for, just for the parody theme <laughs> tune they can do yeah. they, uh, they, uh, he's going to fill us in on the Football League's recent decision to send a consultation document to all 72 clubs seeking their views on safe standing they've written about it on the website recently Joseph has uh, you'll have heard a lot about it and uh, Joseph is going to come on and tell us about it in more depth later first though rather inevitably I have to say uh, we thought this was coming last week we're going to start at the new den we said Steve Lomas was on the brink after that 2-0 defeat home to Middlesbrough and uh, it wasn't a great Christmas uh, the Millwall board acted after Boxing Day's 4-0 thrashing at Watford and Steve Lomas was sacked after just five wins in 22 games leaving the Lions 20th in the championship coach Neil Harris legendary Millwall player and academy director Scott Fitzgerald took charge for the 0-0 draw at Doncaster on Sunday let's speak to Nick Hart who is the co-presenter of the Millwall Hangover podcast Nick thank you very much for coming on the show I imagine when you heard the news after the uh, the defeat at Watford, it wasn't much of a shock. No, no. I mean, this has been coming for some time, to be honest with you. I mean, Lomas obviously arrived last summer in, you know, it was it was on the least um, 
with little fanfare, let's put it that way, because he arrived with West Ham connections. So he very much needed to come in and, and hit the ground running with results quickly. Now, the story of the season has not been great for him. Um, those results never ever came. We had one ble- uh, brief flurry of form round about October time. We, we strung a few wins together. But apart from that, it's been fairly much a story of misery for him for you know from uh, the start of the season in August onwards. So, yeah, I mean, we, we reached December and the thing was falling apart pretty much. The Watford 4-0 defeat um, was pretty much the final straw for him. So he had to go. So it came as no surprise in the end. It was, it was probably... Building. I've always got this vision of him being like a man they couldn't hang. He's been on the gallows a couple of times already and, and managed to get off at the last moment and uh, he couldn't get off the off the gallows this last time. Well, as you mentioned, Nick, he was on the gallows really before he even got the job. I mean, there was a sign <laughs> on the gates, wasn't there, before he even signed for the club, you know, Lomas out. And what was he... Was he given a chance? Were people willing once he was once he was given the, the job? Were people willing to back him and, and support him if the results were there? Yeah, I mean, all, all joking aside, I mean, obviously he arrived with unfortunate West Ham connections, and that will never help you when you come to Millwall. It's just not, you know, it's, it's, it's the most um, it, it's beyond the pale in, in many respects. So he arrived handicapped, let's put it that way. Um, there was a famous um, poster attached to the gates of the, of the den. You know that 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 was uh, indicative of the of the early mood. I mean, to be to be sensible. You don't need that on, on your first day in a new job, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, not on day one. No, it's like rolling into the office and you find that pinned to your computer screen. You know, it's probably not a good start, is it? Um, I mean, most fair-minded fans, and it is the majority, believe me, were willing to give him a chance. He, he did need early results, and that that never really came for him. Um, he, he, he's actually quite brave in some of his decision making early on. He actually tried to change the way that we played the game. I mean, Mills are traditionally a four-four-two, you know, long ball kind of up and at it type of club, and he actually tried to introduce some modernity in, in the sense of a the four-two-three-one formation, which um, wasn't entirely successful. But he, he kept to it right the way through, probably till about mid-November, when once again the gallows were being built for him in the car park. And at the last, probably the last few games, he'd switch back to an old school Kenny Jacket, 4-4-2, lump it forwards approach. Really the desperation play. So as soon as he did that and abandoned everything he had been trying to build, you could kind of smell the wind, you know, that the clock was ticking for the man. He didn't get the results he needed in December. And, you know, it finished up in a few shambolic results, really. We got beat by Middlesbrough on TV. 2-0, then we went to Vicarage Road and got slaughtered. But despite all that, you're not actually in the relegation zone. No, no, no. Thankfully, there seem to be worse teams than us in, in the league at the moment, so um, you know, that's a source of some comfort to us. We, we're probably about what, three points clear, I think, of Sheffield Wednesday in, in, the, in the third position there. So, yeah, I mean, at the moment we have a comfort blanket, but sadly under Lomas's watch, you could just see that being very, very fragile. The squad had given up on him, and I think one thing I do want to say is as, as many faults as Steve Lomas had, um, he's, been, he's been let down by the players as well because the players have actually not tried for him. They've not committed to him, whatever his faults may or may not have been. Um, he didn't have very long, you know, half a season he had there. But obviously Kenny Jackett left saying that he felt he'd taken the club as far as he could. Mm. Left him in 20th. Steve yeah. Lomas leaves him in 20th as well. So he's not digressed so much. He hasn't regressed in the no. sense that some people are suggesting. So what really is Millwall's level then, I suppose, really? Millwall's level? There's a question for us. Um, well, traditionally, I mean, you know, we, we've we've floated between the second and third divisions, as you know, if you look to look to the club historically. So, um, you know, once or twice we've um, been in the fourth league, and then once one glorious occasion we made it to the top flight. But overall, really, a second and third tier club. 
crowd-wise, I mean, we're probably always going to be at that level because you just don't get crowds much beyond the ten or 11,000 level down the den. But as far as what Lomas has tried to achieve, I think he, you know, with a little bit of um, hindsight, I could see what he was trying to do for us, and that was to take us forward in terms of how we play the game. It's just the players did not seem to like him very much, and he also didn't help himself with one or two ill-judged forays into the drinking establishments of East London, so that, that didn't help his cause much either. Um, it was it was never going to work unless he got early results, and that, that just didn't come for him. So, you know, probably... You know, this was this was always going to happen at some stage. Um, it's probably sooner than any, anyone expected. But um, to be honest with you, he could have gone back in October. Well, Carl, you, you made the point there that, that Millwall haven't exactly regressed compared to where they finished last season. But that neglects to mention the investment that, that was put into this squad in the summer. Now, there was no yeah. money paid for any players in terms of transfer fees. But the list of signings on free transfers are players like Jermaine Easter, Stephen Bywater. You've got Morrison on loan Morrison, from Leeds, yeah, Lee Martin, yeah. Richard Chaplow, Nicky Bailey, Scott McDonald and Paul Connolly. All signed from other championship clubs. All have been you know, rather yeah. experienced players. Some of them have been promotion winning players at times and they will all be on big wages. So the squad improved significantly over the summer, but results haven't. Yeah, I mean, on paper, this is a much better squad than that, that which we finished last season. And incidentally, last season, obviously under the watch of Kenny Jacket, um, we barely escaped relegation on the last day. It was it was skin of the teeth type, type stuff on that last day. So the, 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 there have been problems with the squad for some time. I mean, the defence um, this season has been awful, absolutely appalling. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the wage bill would have increased, certainly. We've invested in players that are probably at a higher level than we've been used to in recent years. I think the, the, the kind of factor X that's been missing this season has been that um, traditional Millwall spirit and approach, which would mask shortfalls in you know skill levels um, with, with a with a you know a more spirited approach, and that's not been visible. And that's that's really the thing that's that's let down Steve Lomas this season. I think he, he just wasn't able to get the best out of this squad. Reading the we mentioned this last week. Uh, reading the uh, open letter mm. that uh, your co-host Anthony yeah, wrote Andrew, about yeah. to. Um, to the chairman about Lomas, there was a little a line in it that fascinated me. It was a real uh, sort of shrewd observation mm. about Scott Malone not passing the ball to Scott McDonald's feet and getting berated <laughs> by McDonald. And Malone simply pointed to Lomas and shrugged his shoulders and said, "You know, well, yeah. it's not my fault." The manager tells me to lump it, basically. Yeah, no, we were using Scott McDonald, who is five foot something. I don't know what he is, but he's a short guy. We're using him as a target man, you know. <laughs> Go figure, I, I don't know. Um, and that, that, that line is, is very, very accurate. That was one of the problems. We were, we were playing a style that um, clearly the squad didn't believe in the manager. Increasingly, as the season wore on, the fans didn't believe in the manager. And in the end, you know, it just fell apart on him. Um, I, one thing I'd, I would want to say, just, just in, in fairness to Steve Lomas, I, I, I do think that... Um, despite his, you know, his poor record at this so far this season at the Den, I do think there's a manager in there, you know, kind of lurking somewhere. He did well in Scotland. Yeah. He took St Johnston, I think, into the um, the Europa League, didn't he? Mm. So there's there's clearly something in there. Um, that said, it's a big leap to come from the Scottish leagues into the Championship, and he was out of his depth in the end. How about this for a January then? Uh, Mill will play Leicester 
on New Year's Day, who are top of the league and flying. And then they've got Southend in the FA Cup, potential banana skin. Yep. Then Huddersfield, who won 5-1 yep. at the weekend. Then Ipswich, who are into the top six and on a great run. And then two games against teams below you, Yeovil yep. away and Sheffield Wednesday at home. So if there is going to be a managerial appointment, yep. it's going to be pretty soon before uh, that run of important fixtures. Yeah, I mean, there's some big games. Um, I mean, the, the one that's looming, as you've just rightly pointed out, Leicester City at home on, on Wednesday. So we've got that coming. There's a very good, strong side that can clearly score goals. And I think they, they probably would have preferred Steve Lomas to still in, in charge. Yeah, you can certainly concede than, goals, um, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, rather than, we've got, at the moment, we've got a caretaker manager duo of, of um, Scott Fitzgerald, who's a coach at the Den for some time, and also Lions legend now, Neil Harris. So I think if, um, if I had been Leicester City's manager, I would have preferred Steve to have hung on for a few days to get that fixture out of, and under, under your belt. But... I actually think, in the, in the most perverse way, I think this is actually um, a highly winnable game for me all. I'll be stand to be corrected on that after Wednesday night, but um, I think somehow this has got all the ingredients of a, of a classic old school cup tie. You know, um, fired up crowd. Mm. Lions legend in charge, and we're back to the wall, which is just how the Wolves fans like it. So, oddly, I, I, I quite fancy us on Wednesday. Um, the other games, no, they're tough. I mean, the FA Cup. Um, Arguably, it's a distraction, really. The main business of this season is to survive in the Championship. So the trip to South End, there's going to be a few fans going down there for that one. And hopefully we can get past that, you know, quite awkward little fixture. But, um, no, some other big league games to come, that's for sure. Well, I've got to ask, Nick, while you're on, given you're talking about uh, your manager being sacked, you've got to look ahead to who will replace him. And Neil Harris has said he doesn't want the job. Um, yeah. Despite that, it looks like he's still second favourite of most markets. Mark Bircham, another former Millwall player. Yeah, I don't um, know where he's from. I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, that's from one parallel, a former West Ham United player to another, if you get one of those two, isn't it? Is is that route the safest route going down the ex-player? Well, I mean, or do Bircham you want the experience? Out of nowhere. I, was, I, I did some um, you know, stuff for the fanzine today and I, I checked, I, it's not odds checker, it's sackrace.com. It's like an odds checker type of um, site. We've used it many a time on this show. Where, where on earth is he coming from? You know, um, he's got no zero managerial record, and to be honest, he's an ex-Millwall player. And he's been coaching the kids at QPR, I think, for a few yeah, years. Yeah, that's that's from it. what I read, he's quite quite rated. You know, mm. I, I do think he's probably got potential, same as Neil Harris has potential. But Steve um, Lomas had potential as well. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where they got. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, um, the, the main name that everyone's talking about is Neil Warnock. Um, <laughs> we seem to have a taste for miserable Northerners. We seem to quite like that when they come down there and moan back at us and, you know, throw the abuse back in the faces of the fans. Well, he's well, managed QPR, he's managed Palace, going around all the various Championship London clubs. Why not make it one last one at the Den? He's, he's always had a, a grudging kind of... Um, uh, admiration for us and I think it's, the feeling is mutual despite the abuse that will get heaped on his shoulders if he didn't come down the den but um, no I, I'm, I personally I, I think experience and championship now is going to be crucial over these next you know few months you you rightly pointed out that the tough fixture list that's ahead of us and someone like Warnock could just bring it together one thing I'd question about appointing Neil Warnock he's certainly got the track record in terms of you know, not just keeping teams up in the championship, getting them out of it at the other end as well. Mm, um, yeah. But it's not a long-term appointment. Uh, you know, no. this is a man who, in the, in the last four or five jobs he's had, has said it's going to be his last one in football. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he isn't yeah. getting any younger. He's now reached retirement age. But he's now, 
he does want to come back into football. He has, he has stated that, but it looks like he wants to do it on a short-term basis, perhaps come into a club like Millwall, yeah. keep them up, help them out till the end of this season. Do you think that could be workable? You know, yeah, Ward I mean, comes in yeah, end of the season, seen, then you appoint someone younger. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the dream ticket, if, if it were possible, would be Warnock in some kind of director of football role as the old head, you know, sat upstairs, whilst the younger guys, possibly, possibly Harris, possibly Bertram or somebody like that, you know, kind of learn their trade at the foot of the guru, so to speak, you know. Um, so that that could offer some way forward. You're, you're right, you're dead right. He doesn't want the job full-time permanently, so it will only be from now till, till you know, the end of April when the season finishes. Um, I, it, it would be my personal choice. I'm going to be, you know, lay, lay out my, you know, my cards on the table. Nick, now I've not been on every show this season, but I've listened to all of them, and Neil Warnock's name is has been mentioned... On a very regular occurrence. Yeah. Um, and every club you know, have mentioned, oh, yeah, Neil Warnock, he'd be good. He's not gone to any of you. No. So what would make him come to Millwall over all the other, the 71 clubs, <laughs> most of them already changed their manager this season, sell it to Neil glory, Warnock to come glory. to Millwall? <laughs> um, I mean, it's going to come down to money, isn't it? I mean, he's going to be an expensive option, which, you know, the likes of Bircham and Harris wouldn't be as expensive as Neil Warnock. You know, we all know how these things work. So... Um, I'm guessing the ball will have to dig their hands in their pockets, having already paid off Steve Lomas, the uh, the first choice. And if they really want somebody that maybe knows a way to keep us in, in the championship, then they're going to have to put their hands in their pocket and um, dig deep. Another strange um, candidacy, if, if, you know, while we're on the subject, has been Steve Claridge, who's been conducting yeah. a fairly well-drilled um, Twitter campaign. In his I've, I've seen some of this, yeah. Yeah, which is another odd thing. Wasn't I mean, he manager there before for about five minutes? He was, he was manager in, in 2005. Um, he was appointed during a period of chaos uh, at the club and he, he became manager in, in July 2005 and was sacked by Theopathetis at the end of July. So he was actually manager of the month. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even make it to the start of the season. Quite literally. <laughs> um, he never actually, he never, I think he played a couple of friendlies as manager and then we never actually made the start of the season with him in charge. And I think this burns inside of him. I think this, this experience on a serious level actually um, it obviously hurt him, hurt his pride. I think he does rate himself as a, a judge of players. He knows the lower leagues. He knows the you know, leagues one and two inside out. And he's obviously got a media career now on the BBC. So I think he does see himself as a contender. He has no experience, so we're back to square one on that front. As long as he can bring Manish in as his number two. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's a vision I hadn't had. <laughs> Nick, thanks very much for coming on no and speaking worries, to us. Happy New Year. Thank Hope you, it all mate. goes better uh, next year. That is the Nick Hart, who's the co-presenter of the Millwall Hangover podcast. Download that uh, for more. In just a minute, we're going to address the tricky issue of safe standing. Okay, it's time to talk safe standing then. It's been a talking point for as many years as I can remember with football fans. And there has been a recent development that you might have read about. I mentioned this at the top of the show. Uh, The Football League have decided to send a consultation document to all 72 clubs seeking their views on safe standing. So does this mean something is about to change? Let's speak to Joseph Clift, who's the co-editor of the website One Foot in the Game. And he's written about the issue of safe standing this week. Joseph, thank you very much for coming on. Firstly, give us a bit of background on this what does the fact that the football league have sent this consultation out actually mean well this is quite a positive development as you know the um primarily the football supporters federation has been campaigning on this for uh, quite a number of years now and there have been incremental sort of steps uh, along the way of this campaign and last june uh, the 
chairmen of all the uh, football league clubs came together for a big meeting and voted to look at this issue in further detail. And that basically led to this consultation document being sent out by the Football League Chief Executive Sean Harvey last Friday. And they're looking for views now on safe standing from all of the clubs. And it's a really good opportunity to actually sort of engage clubs on the issue, get the views of fans, and hopefully see a change towards the introduction, ultimately, of safe standing. Joseph, when people think of standing at football matches and terraces, inevitably they think back to the old days, you know, the massive pens and the unruly scenes that we saw, you know, 25, 30 years ago. But what exactly is safe standing uh, as, as it, you know, what does it mean nowadays and in terms of other countries that use it now and what would it be used if it would, what would it be like if it would be introduced in this country now? So the easiest thing to say is that it's probably, as you say, a lot of people would instantly assume that that would be the old-style uh, terracing that still exists in some some grounds in the country. This isn't a uh, what safe standing is isn't this sort of model. So you might be familiar with uh, certain grounds in leagues in Germany, Austria, Sweden that use a type of seating called uh, rail seats, which basically, very simply, sort of provides a a safety barrier and a flip-down seat on each section. But it gives basically sort of the option of fixing those seats into sort of upright positions so that there's room for people to stand in a safe way. So you have two rows essentially per barrier and have a sort of secured sort of area on that. So you can still actually sort of ticket people into those those areas so it avoids the issues of um, overcrowding, for example. So that that's essentially what we're looking at. This is something that has been proven to be safe in the countries where it's used. So Germany used it extremely successfully. And what the Football League basically uh, is looking to do is sort of see whether there's an appetite for this to be uh, looked at again, and in the event that clubs are happy, potentially trialling it at one or two clubs. Is there an appetite then, Joseph, for it to uh, be considered again? I mean, the, the Football Supporters Federation has surveyed quite a lot of fans on this in the past, and there seems to be sort of certainly a growing uh, amount of support for safe standing. Surveys sort of show quite consistently high levels of support for fans basically to be given the choice. I mean, Fans in leagues one and two uh, can actually sort of stand uh, in certain areas at games, but clubs in the championship cannot. So, why is that? It's an interesting situation. I mean, for me, it, it sort of seems very inconsistent that you can have a situation where certain areas uh, of the ground where you are allowed to stand in leagues one and two all of a sudden uh, need to be sort of taken out of the equation once clubs get promoted to the championship. That doesn't quite sort of sit well, really, in terms of... Well, surely, is it anything to do with financial reasons? Off the Hillsborough and, you know, I, inevitably I, that word's going to crop I up don't, I don't times, think but... I don't think it's anything... I don't think it would have been a decision made in terms of, well, the, the, they're allowed to have it and these aren't. It's basically surely because the... the the amount of clubs in League One and League Two who have come up from non-league or who are from humble origins and who have grounds that just aren't all-seater and wouldn't have had to be all-seater back in the 90s when it was made compulsory for the Premier League and, and the second tier or whatever. And it's just, they're simply, 
clubs wouldn't be able to do it, you know, financially if it was a blanket across the board from top to bottom. So they've kind of done it, you know, a drip feed sort of basis. And if you start getting up to the championship, then yeah, you need to get your house in order. I, I think it's kind of just the sort of situation they're left in rather than deciding to do it. Jo- Joseph, these these rail seats you talked about, are they going to be expensive to, to put into grounds? Because, I mean, surely financially, a lot of clubs in the bottom two divisions, if it's going to cost them a lot of money, are not going to be too keen to do this. Well, that's certainly one consideration, but obviously, I mean, any clubs that are looking at substantial ground redevelopments anyway, it's not going to—it's not really going to be a significantly different cost to, say, building a completely new stand full of seats. But I mean, obviously, different clubs will have different considerations on this, and I think what the well, the main issue here is to free up the possibility of actually for the clubs that want to do this, that they're actually able to provide that sort of rail seating. Obviously, those clubs that aren't able to uh, afford to introduce this probably won't go down that road. But for, for clubs that are seriously considering this as an option and would like to actually trial it, I know that there are quite a few clubs already that are supportive of, of this campaign by the uh, Football Supporters Federation. It would be good to just sort of give them the option so that if they're keen to do that, they can go ahead with it. Those clubs that aren't keen... Joseph, obviously any debate about a safe standing can't hide from the Hillsborough uh, issue and the Hillsborough factor. Obviously, none of us here were were there. None of us were old enough to be uh, to be you know aware of what was happening back back in Hillsborough. So we can't really speak with the same authority as some people who've been affected and people who've lost family members in that on that terrible day. So I can fully understand why anyone would have an opposition to standing because of what happened that day. But surely you can separate the old style of, uh, of, of standing and, and terracing to, to what's being proposed nowadays. Obviously, nobody would ever forget the, the things that went wrong in the past, and that would be at the forefront of the authorities' minds were they to introduce safe standing in this country. I think you're, you're certainly right to, to raise that as a, as a concern. And the document that the Football League has sent out doesn't shy away from that fact. I mean, they do they do make sort of specific reference to what happened at Hillsborough. But it is important to, to remember that the Taylor report that looked at that didn't highlight standing as being the main cause of, of the, what happened there. But again, it's got to be stressed that uh, what's being called for with safe standing isn't a call to basically go back to what we had in the 1980s. That's not at all what's on the on the table and certainly isn't something that I think clubs would vote to, to look at. But it's going to take an awful lot of work, not just some kind of, you know, clubs pushing for the idea. It's going to have to take national support. It's going to take a very strong government to take a risk realistically in bringing back safe seating, given what they did after Hillsborough, isn't it? It's true that, I mean, this is this is another incremental step, if you like, and it's going to, this isn't going to be something that is, is going to happen overnight, but it is thing that I think a number of football supporters feel quite strongly about. This consultation gives clubs the opportunity to actually all voice an opinion on it, something that hasn't happened to date. You've had pockets of clubs actively getting involved to greater or lesser degrees. It will take uh, some change to, to the existing laws that govern football at the minute. And you're right, and it will... It, there will have to be political will to actually do that as well. What do we all think about the issue of 
sort of uh, standing at football because I was at a game on Boxing Day and I was at the back of a stand stood up for the whole game and there was large sections of the crowd stood up anyway in an all-seater stadium. Well, I guess we're, we're kind of, as Dave's already mentioned, we only have anecdotal and you know, video. We can't remember yeah. what happens. I mean, I, I, I would never I would never want to feel at risk in a football I stadium. Mean, I, I've been at the playoff final for Swindon in Wembley, stood up for the entire game. You know, we all kind of crammed in on one one aisle just because you know, people near where we were standing didn't want to um, stand up they wanted to be sat down so we, we moved and so it was quite overcrowded So, but I know this issue which Joseph is raising everyone will have a ticketed you know, seats and number so the issue is not there and I just, I just don't think it can feasibly go through I don't think our government will ever risk going back because it just takes one it, I'm not talking on a Hillsborough scale but just one slight instant for people to say oh it should never been brought back yeah. so I just don't think it can be brought back I, I see what you're saying it's a hugely emotive issue I mean as, as we record this tonight Stan Collymore is is doing you know, a similar topic on his TalkSport show and he's just retweeting I'm seeing in front of me now retweeting all the feedback he's getting and then there are so many people who you know the mention of standing they just think no I, I don't want to take the risk I've seen people die that I know and I, I don't want to take the risk even if it's a 1% chance we can't go back to that and I completely understand that point of view but as you as you mentioned Mark and, and Joseph as you've been saying you know, people are standing at, at league games now, you know, up and down the country, not just in League One or League Two, right? Even at Premier League games, you know, and you've got clubs that are introducing uh, introducing singing sections, as happened at my club Watford this season. Manchester United have experimented mm-hmm. with that, you know, so there is a will, you know, to, to try and, I think, bring back some of the atmosphere into football. Because I think some some of the the atmosphere has been lost through all seater stadiums, you know, rightly or wrongly, and it needs to be bulletproof as in, in as much as it can be. It needs to be as safe as it possibly can be. It needs to be proven beyond all doubt that this is going to be fine. You know, there are examples, you know, of other countries doing it, so that the precedents are there. But um, you know, as Carl said, I think it's going to be very difficult to convince a lot of people in this I, country. I mean, I assume there will be you know family sections as well, and that will be taken into account. So you're going to take your kids along to a game of football. They want to be able to see the game still if people are going to be standing up so one would assume there will be family sections but also it does beg the question why the football authorities gave up with getting people to sit down in the first place Joseph uh, just before we let you go um, one final thing why do you think that safe standing is a good idea your own personal opinion well my personal view is that I've when I've stood up at games I've, I've been sat in the cold for, for dire nil-nil draws I mean standing does tend to sort of make it a much more enjoyable experience. And when I stand at a football game, I don't want to be annoying somebody that is wanting to remain seated, who might be in the same area, and I want to do that in a safe way. And I think that safe standing, using this sort of model that has been used elsewhere in the world, I think sort of really would provide a good option for those people that want to stand at matches to be able to do it in a safe way without inconveniencing those that... Uh, don't want stand. Well, thanks very much for coming on and speaking to us about it. We appreciate that. Cheers, Joseph. Cheers, thank you. That is uh, Joseph Clift, who's the co-editor of the website One Foot in the Game, and you can read that blog uh, that we were talking about at onefootinthegame.com. Right, it's time for My Club, uh, the bit of the show where we uh, give Football League fans 125 seconds to tell us all about their club, all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And this week, it's the turn of AFC Wimbledon. This is We Are Going Up, my club in 125 seconds. Hello, I'm Jeff Hawley and my club is AFC Wimbledon. Okay, so I think we thought before we start this, Jeff, there is an interesting point to raise. Now, are you allowed to go back pre-2002 is what you're asking? Yeah, I mean, I, the people I stand with on the terraces today are the people I stood with pre that date and the uh, the events that led to 
the breakup, etc., and, and the franchising in, in English football. So I, I feel it's still the same club, if not the same legal entity. Okay, we, we, we happy with that, everyone? Absolutely. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Okay, right. Your best moment then as a, as a Wimbledon fan? I suppose you've got to point to the FA Cup final as, as the highlight, really. Um, Liverpool were the team in Europe; they were the team to beat, and we went out there and we rode our luck a lot of the time, but we got the result. And it was um, one of those moments you, you sat back as like. Did that really happen? And it took a while to sink in. Aside from the the breakup, because that probably will be the worst moment. But on the pitch, what has been the worst moments as a Wimbledon fan? Well, that's actually, I managed to miss most of the relegations, and that was a, that was a main <laughs> thing. I wasn't actually there in two thousand when we went down. Um, some of the playoff defeats the one at Fisher was pretty bad I, I felt physically tired because I just flown back from San Francisco and that really took it out of me and to lose to Fisher on a cold night then was a was a real hurtful one you never want to be losing to Fisher, Dulwich, Fisher on a cold Fisher. night <laughs> oh, Dulwich even it was worse that, it was, uh, yeah, let, me, let me recount that it was, that, it was actually against Dulwich it was against it was at Dulwich was it Fisher I think it was Fisher I really don't remember <laughs> no, we are plumbing, I was plumbing the depths dead. here and, dead uh, on the feet Jeff tell us about that uh, day at the City of Manchester Stadium then winning the penalty shootout to get back to the league in, in the sort of the new form of the club that must be the standout moment well, yeah it was, it was the, the, the writing the wrong justice was done effectively but we just rode our luck and late on in the second half where the ball came back off the post from that header and then the penalties it was just like was the script in our favour and the feeling when the when Seb Brown pulled off those two saves and Danny Kedwell put away that spot kick it just uh, an upswell of emotion that had been going back for the past 10 years was suddenly let loose and just too emotional for some Jeff your two minutes is up thank you alright thanks very much my club in 125 seconds we are going up we've got the football league covered so we'll have another one of those on the show next week. And in just a second, we're going to talk about the January transfer window. But first, boys, I've got a quick email for you, just the one this week. Hi, guys. My name is Aidan Tranent. I'm writing from the sunny east coast of Australia, the town of Bundaberg in Queensland, to be precise. Excellent. Now, he gets through the email without mentioning the ashes, which I'm quite pleased about. I've listened you to your to sh- bring it up, didn't you? you had to. <laughs> I've listened to your show since you did a feature <laughs> on my beloved West Ham nearly three years ago. Uh, as a result of the podcast, I've taken a big interest in all football league clubs, especially Bradford City, which leads in very nicely in a second. So I'm going to speak to Dom. <laughs> I listen religiously, religiously to your show every week. Now, in Australian football, aside from the top tier, the leagues are very disjointed. There's numerous local competitions all running parallel with one another, with no promotion or relegation or chance for young players to come through. However, things are starting to change. Um, in 2012, the FFA, the head footballing authority, announced the creation of the National Premier Leagues, as well as the the FFA Cup and uh, the MPL as it's going to be called aims to bridge the gap between the A-League and the local teams and the Cup is going to work in much the same way as the FA Cup with small locals being able to match their skills with the big boys of Australian football Um, you shouldn't adopt a team well, I've I've been to see the Brisbane Raw play, so they are my official Australian team. But they're a prim, they're sort of an A League team. He says you should ad- adopt a bunch of teams, the NPL Queensland Division, because um, in its first season from March to October this year, it's been a big success, uh, huge crowds, and games frequently having to be stopped due to flares being hurled on the pitch in celebration of a thrilling goal or big win. And uh, there are players such as uh, the former Ipswich and Cambridge striker Antonio Murray and Manchester United Hartlepool and Reading midfielder Danny Burn 
playing there. Now, question, have you, have you heard of either of those players? Uh, I, think, I think stretching it to Manchester <laughs> United, not, Danny no. Byrne. Is I can't it? say I'm aware of Antonio <laughs> Murray or Danny Byrne. Finally, keep up the well, great work, guys. You're, in, you're enthralled I've fan, got, I've got Aidan Trannett. I've got a list of the teams here. Oh, go on. Um, in the... Uh, the National Premier League Queensland. So you've got uh, Brisbane City, Brisbane Strikers, Central Queensland FC, Morton Bay United, Northern Fury, Olympic FC, Palm Beach Sharks, Palm Beach Sharks, QAS, Far North Queensland Bulls. <laughs> They're my favourite. Uh, Redlands United, Sunshine Coast Fire, and Western Pride. It's a bit like the whole um, you know, Total Network Solutions joke, there, isn't it? They'll be dancing <laughs> on the streets four, of Far North Queensland Bulls. Tonight. Four uh, British managers. Oh yeah, David anyone we've heard David of. David Large manages the Brisbane Strikers. Raymond Wood, Central Queensland FC. Uh, Matt Chandler, Redlands United, and Kevin Hearn Evans, Sunshine Coast Five. Who uh, are they? That they all also none of them. A... None of them have their own Wikipedia page. <laughs> Doesn't so, bode well, does it? Unfortunately, I'm unable to tell you. Uh, Aidan, thank you very much for that. Um, if you're an overseas listener, want to get involved in this? We read a few out in the show last week. We are going up.co.uk/contact or email wagupodcast@gmail.com. And as Aidan is, we've got to support f- Western Pride. Why? They're from Ipswich. Oh, what, in Australia? In Australia, yeah. <laughs> um, we, uh, Aidan, we're gra- glad you brought up the fact that uh, you're a Bradford fan because we're about to speak to a man who is a big Bradford fan, Mr Dominic. Possibly the biggest. Yes, Mr Dominic newton College from the Bantams Banter podcast. Although, don't, the Brad- don't Bradford actually have the... As a Bradford fan, isn't the fattest man in the UK a Bradford fan? I'm not sure. I'm sure I've, I'm sure Dom, I've seen that. Somewhere. Dom, do you know about that? <laughs> yeah, I do a podcast with him. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, OK, right. Well, we've got you on mainly to talk about Naki Wells, DC. You start us off on this. Start the ball rolling. Yeah, well, Wells. we were recording this uh, the day before New Year's Eve, uh, two days away from the transfer window opening. And I guess, you know, the main tra- football league transfer window story at the moment it is Naki Wells, he's one of the, the hottest prospects out there, you know, scored goals for fun last season, he's carried on this season despite a few injuries and the clubs that are being linked with a, a bid for, for Wells are the likes of QPR and Blackburn Rovers in the Championship, so I guess Dom, how confident are you that he'll still be a Bradford player come next week? I was I was confident that he would stay with us this season until I saw him play his last couple of games and there seems to I hope I'm wrong, but there seems to have been a real lack of interest from him that his effort has been halved almost. Um, and, you know, you kind of get the feeling that the way the player's playing, that their the mind's on something else, their mind's on being able to move, being fit for a move. And so, he has gone off with a mysterious injury the other day, didn't he? Yeah, a hamstring injury. And uh, he has since tweeted, let's go and get this hamstring sorted out. So either it's a huge ruse or, you know, he genuinely is worried about worried about an injury and I, I guess I guess the best case scenario as a Bradford City fan would be that he stays or he's bought from somebody and loaned back to us because at the end of the day we're a football club we, it, it's much as it's nice to have a, a fantastic player to, for everything to circulate around one player is not really a good thing I don't think so if he goes he goes these things happen in football I guess I don't want to lose him because he's a fantastic player his contribution to 2013 for Bradford City has been immense. But Bradford City are a club that if somebody comes in and offers three million for Naki Wells, then you know we need to cash in. We can't turn that money away. You're perhaps surprised he did stay. I know he had an excellent season last season, but therefore his profile would have been so high come the summer. You surprised there wasn't a massive bid that came in for him to take him away, or was it was there one which got rejected? What was, I only know rumours, rumours of offers that were coming in. And we love it. we love a good rumour. Oh, we do. I, I, they scare me sometimes. I mean, actually, to be honest, it's nice to be involved 
in the transfer window on a transfer <laughs> saga. Because as a Bradford City fan, it never happens. I can't remember the last transfer saga we were involved in. Probably Dave Hopkin when he joined us from Crystal Palace <laughs> and he was terrible. It's just one of those things that as a football fan, I guess you need to learn to, to, to deal with. And three million quid, you know, it's a lot of money for a team in League One. And that could potentially buy other players that are of a decent calibre at that level. I mean, £500,000 is what your average for a top striker in League One. And if we can pick up one or two, um, and Bradford City need to strengthen in other areas, and three million quid could be spread around the squad with a bit left over. I don't know how Bradford City will play it if he is sold, but you know, I'm, I'm willing to, obviously I have no choice, but to, to deal with the situation is you know, just to let it happen. Let it happen and just continue to watch Bradford City at the best and, and, and do the best they can this season because it's not been a bad start to League One. We've not had a win now for a fair few games, but, you know, who knows? Next next year, maybe. Dom, just for, for fans of, say, QPR, Black, and even Leeds, I've seen, uh, been linked with him today. Uh, what sort of player... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> worst case scenario. What sort of player is, is Naki Wells? You know, what qualities does he have that you think could see him score goals at a higher level? That, that's the, the thing you see I'd love to tell you that you know he's not that good I don't know why everyone's bothering about him but he is he's, he's quick he's got the reflexes of a, of a really good striker he's he's quick on the turn he's got a superb strike he's but the, the one thing I will say is that he relies on a big man up front he needs a target man up front somebody that the players at the back can launch the ball towards and to get the flick on and he's got the perfect partnership at Bradford City because he's got James Hansen alongside him. And James Hansen is responsible for a lot of Naki's goals, especially last season. So it, who knows, a move could see that you know go the wrong way. Could It could be that he doesn't get as many chances as he used to at Bradford. But I guess if he goes to Blackburn, you know, Jordan Rhodes is a, is a fantastic player and I'm sure that alongside him he'll do really well. He takes a fantastic free kick as well, doesn't he? He does, he does. It's very Ronaldo-esque. There's no, there's no trickery, no curves. It's just, you know, absolutely smash it on target and it seems to, it seems to work for him. And, and he is, he's a fantastic player. If anybody here is listening, they're a QPR fan, a Blackburn fan uh, or a, a Scum fan, then, you know, the, 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 if, if they buy Naki Wells, they're getting a quality player, a player who, who, who's got a lot of potential and has proved a lot of doubters wrong because Carlisle released him a few years ago and we took him on and nurtured him and he's turned out to be a fantastic player. His, his scoring record is you know, pretty much one in, not far off one in two, uh, which is exceptional really. And, you know, QPR certainly a team that could do with a striker. They played Watford... Um, on Sunday, and uh, they didn't even start the game with a striker. They have got Charlie Austin, who was injured. And I think him and him four and of their last Charlie five Austin games have not scored. And Naki Wells would make a, a decent little partnership. And if if a club like QPR, who are looking to go up, or or maybe even someone say like Crystal Palace or or, or West Ham, say who are struggling for goals in the Premier League, could take a punt on Wells. Do you think he could be a Premier League player uh, in the in the next few years, or is Championship more of his more his level? I think he's certainly got. A- He's got the calibre within him. He's, he's certainly got the ability, and, and he's got what he has got is a lot of like uh, he's a courageous player. He'll throw himself in and ambition. And a club like QPR, obviously, they've got a lot of ambition, and it's not really worked out. And a lot of them, money. But I think, yeah, and a lot of money. <laughs> but what I think is that Naki Wells will be looking if he does want to move. I mean, we've not nobody's spoken to actually spoken to Naki yet. He might not want to move, but. If he does, he's going to be looking at a club that's got the same ambition as he as he has. Because we've interviewed him a few times on the podcast and spoken to him throughout the cup run last year. And he's a fantastically ambitious person. 
like nothing ever seems good enough. Like the fact that we got into a cup final just seemed like it was, you know, he almost expected that one day in his life that had happened to him. And it is, it is, it is, that's just one one thing. He's a fantastically ambitious. If you talk to him, you can feel how ambitious he is, how much he wants to succeed in football. So if he does want to move, then, you know, it's not going to be much of a surprise if he wants to go further up the leagues. But what, what I will say is that a January transfer for a young striker can be a dangerous time to move yeah. because th- these clubs are look uh, they're panicking like QPR. Marvin Sordell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's going to be a panic. It's going to be a panic buy. QPR might be thinking, you know what, we're struggling for goals here. Let's quickly bring someone in for a few million quid and see what he does for us until the end of the season. And then he could be an outcast. So if you're listening, Naki, take that on board. <laughs> wise, wise words, certainly. Yeah. Sam Baldock's another one that comes to mind in a similar sort of situation a few years ago. But Dom, it's, it's New Year. It's, it's time for, for optimism and to look on the, the bright side of life. So let's say Naki Wells does go to QPR. Uh, you get three million quid and you're Phil Parkinson and the chairman gives you, let's say, half of that money to spend on the team uh, in January. Uh, who would you go out and buy? Or what sort of players would you go out and spend that money on in order to get Bradford up into those playoffs? You're only seven points off uh, at halfway well, stage. Yeah, you see, that, that you put it like that and it's not a bad position we're in. League one is wide open. So although we've not won for 13 games and we've drawn quite a lot of those, we're still up there because everybody's able to beat each other and that's what's happening in the League One. So we'd need to, obviously, we'd need to buy a striker and it needs to be a striker with a, with a decent scoring record because we've brought in Caleb Fallen and that didn't work out, so he's been drifted out. Andy Gray came in, he scored one goal since he returned to Bradford City and that's not good enough. Um, we've got Alan Connell, who's a great striker, but Phil Parkinson just doesn't seem to want to put him into the starting lineup. Uh, James Hansen is one of the first names on the team sheet so we've got him we need somebody who's quick pace it and they've got a record of scoring goals so that that be the first thing on my list will be to buy a, score, a, a striker half a million quid maybe who's got a good scoring record secondly I'd look at our midfield although our midfield was one of the shiny lights last season Gary Jones is a, a, a fantastic player for us last season but this year League One kind of gets away from him he's almost a passenger in some games so maybe trying to tighten up the central midfield at Bradford because our wingers are decent. We've got Mark Yates who came from Watford, fantastic player. Uh, he doesn't really get as much of a shout as he deserves. Doesn't he? <laughs> He's a great player. I saw a free kick he scored against Leeds for Watford. Magnificent. Yeah, yeah. Why Watford Brilliant. let him go? I, can't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But And he doesn't seem to get a fair crack of the whip at City. I, I guess... His fitness might be a problem. I don't know. Every club he's been to, he starts off quite well, shows his ability, and he and he sort of often fades. Although last season Zola did think very highly of him, he's certainly got great technical ability, and I, th- I think the physical side of things is always the question mark over him. Dom, before yeah. before we uh, before we let you go, quick just sort of final summation of what's been a remarkable twelve months for the football club to uh, to get to a, a League Cup final and to get promoted at Wembley in the same season, and then to sit uh, what is it tenth in League One at the end. You were robbed, robbed in BBC Sports personality. Yeah, I couldn't here, believe that. Yeah, didn't even get nominated. What was that about? Last time I did work for the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> um, just sum it, sum, sum it all up for us. Oh God! <laughs> to ask a Bradford fan to quickly sum up 2013 is quite difficult, but amazing. Probably the best year to have supported Bradford City because we captured the imagination of children. You know, a lot of children are growing up thinking, you know, Bradford City—they're the team to admire because they show what can be achieved and. Also, you know, as a, as a Bradford City fan, this was amazing. We got promoted, we were out of the doldrums. And to be in a cup final, to be thrust in front of the nation's eyes, I mean, I think that's why we first spoke to you guys. Because 
of, yep. the, of Bradford City being thrust into the nation's heart. And to be a Bradford City fan, to experience that, to experience such magnificent like football arenas like um, Villa Park is a fantastic stadium, and of course Wembley. Uh, it's just, it was just, it's just amazing. It was unexpected and incredible. And, uh, and that never happens. That <laughs> never happens in lower league football ever. And DC, if you still got your Bradford City flag, I have. that's what I want to know. It's gathering dust on my shelf at home, but pride of place. Brilliant. At least it's there. You yeah. see, you're not even a Bradford fan. You're not you... from Bradford, and you have a flag. <laughs> <Yeah. Amazing. laughs> Sums it all up. Dom, thanks very much for coming on, mate, and uh, happy Quite new year. Life. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thank talk you, to you man. soon. Uh, right, let's uh, talk a bit about Leicester then. Top of the championship. Looking at this stat, uh, since 2000-2001, uh, DC, the championship leaders at the halfway stage have been promoted 11 times out of 13 and seven have gone on to be champions. Ominous? I think it is. You know, the fantastic win against Bolton. What a game that was, 5-3. Oh. Um, bringing back memories of the, of the game on the last day of last season, wasn't it? Well, they had a very good uh, very good sort of um, a double header over Christmas anyway because uh, QPR obviously struggled for a win up there and they managed to pull clearing the four points clear at the top. They now. are. Yeah, well, Derby have joined them in the automatic promotion spots. We'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. But and I saw Dougie Friedman after the game said Leicester are by far the best team in this league. They will win this. They'll be champions. And uh, I have to say, I mean, who knows what can happen? They could easily lose a couple well, of games. When, and, when and they, they right up there this time last year, and then they, I don't think really, they were ever right up there in terms really of leading, leading the, the division. Season. No, they did certainly. You know, they had a really bad run around this time of year, and they, you know, just got back into the playoffs. And we all know what happened uh, at Vicarage Road. But you know, they just seem to me to have. In total contrast, you know, it's a good comparison to make to Watford. You know, that game of Vicarage Road, we thought we were going to go on and win the playoffs, and they were dead and buried. You know, they were right at the bottom of a deep, dark well, and they have gone over it without any hesitation. You know, the squad didn't change too much over the summer. They've just carried on. They've they've dusted themselves down. You know, Nigel Pearson didn't get sacked as many people thought he would do the board have backed him and they've still got a very good squad they've got some good little mixture of youth you know some local youth players some experienced people that have been in the Premier League people that have been in the championship for a long time and it's all working for them and they, they look formidable at the moment which is weird because it belies everything you suggest of the, a playoff hangover if you will like oh get rid of a manager that'll be rid of it or change the squads and that'll get rid mm. of it but no they haven't done either of those things they've not suffered from well, that Watford, they... Watford really do have I've been thinking about this metaphor a lot this year we we were still drunk at the start of the season <laughs> we didn't have a hangover we were pissed for the first few months <laughs> still thinking everything was fine and then, lovely time. and then like a train in November like you know late afternoon hangover it hit us Jesus Jesus Christ, last night it really was big, wasn't it? <laughs> um, elsewhere, over the Christmas period, Middlesbrough, three wins in a row, not even conceded a, a goal in that. Excellent. Coming together for Aitor Karanka. Some cracking Absolutely goals. Absolutely brilliant. The volley by Albert Adoma for the yes. first was brilliant. Led bitters for the second mm. from long, long range. Uh, Reading, though, a little bit of a wobble, three defeats in a row. Certainly. They don't strike me as a team that are going to be uh, in the playoffs, I've got to say, the way things are going. I think Adkins wants to um, make a move in January for some uh, new signings. Well, he's one that I've ridden through various Reading fans on Twitter. A lot of them do want him to stay, but they fear that he won't because of the owners, of course, who've got you know perhaps yeah. illusions of the grandeur. Big li- yeah, big well, illusions dragging of on grandeur, a little bit. But the, the Russian owner that was supposed to complete the full takeover by now and he still hasn't done it he still hasn't taken full ownership of the club and there's there's uncertainty surrounding that he hasn't he hasn't exactly 
you know, been everything I think they thought he was going to be when he when he first uh, invested in the club. Um, Matt Derbyshire's goal for Forrest against Leeds. Oh, he doesn't get many of those, does what he? What a strike. And uh, Forrest have picked up a couple of useful wins they have. over that period. They have. After looking games. like they were going to wobble, yeah. they've pulled a few real big results out of the fire, beating QPR, obviously, the other day as well. Uh, and Leeds have been on great form. Uh, East, the East Midlands at the moment. I mean, what price on a, a Leicester Derby Forest East Midlands trio going up this season? Have a look on Odds Checker or whatever it is. We had a tweet early today from One Dave Bamber on Twitter. Um, this was uh, in regards to Paul Ince. Um, and uh, I think he wants us to mention Paul Ince and lift the. Uh, and- basically get him out of Blackpool and I said really and he said it's fast becoming the consensus really poor all season and the lucky early results are the only things are the only thing keeping our heads above water I've got to be honest I did not expect that from a Blackpool fan well he was linked with a Cardiff job I saw the other day five Paul. defeats and six they, they yeah they've had. really slipped they were you know Booing one, one of the early pay setters weren't they uh, and Ince has had to go back at the Blackpool fans and said that they're out of order to boo his team um, so all is not happy there. I mean, obviously he had his big stadium ban as well. There's the the indiscipline with the with the ridiculous amount of red cards they had in a short space of time. So it's all sort of fallen apart for him. And obviously that that isn't going to help, is it? The amount of suspensions that they had. They had a small squad as it is, basically relying on Tom Ince, really, aren't yeah. they, to deliver the goods? Right. There's a couple of goals we've got to talk about in League One. Of, uh, three goals actually from uh, over the bank holiday, uh, not bank holiday, over the, the sort of Christmas holiday period. Uh, one was the goal that Alex Pritchard scored for Swindon away at Bradford yep. picked the ball up on the halfway line dribbled Happy all the way through scored a few wonderful goals from free kicks this season mm. um, a lot of talk that although we've got him on a season long loan from Spurs that they might take him back given now that Tim Sherwood's in charge and knows a lot about him um, but we'll hopefully hang on to him and um, Jay, Jay Emmanuel Thomas as well similar type of goal ran yeah. from the halfway line knocked well, it off got it back nearly the edge of his own box a little yeah. one-two and in uh, the Bristol City game slotted it in from, from outside of the area yeah and they got a good win against Stevenage, Stevenage 4-1 Stevenage now down in the relegation zone second bottom now uh, but the pick of the lot has got to be this uh, effort on Boxing Day for uh, Preston Josh Brownhill away at Carlisle this is a Tiki Taka in Cumbria, isn't it? Well, it was it, it was fantastic, really, because you know, admittedly, there wasn't a lot of pressing going on from the Carlisle defenders. They were able to, you know, just pop it around at their leisure. Uh, the Preston players in the Carlisle half, but then a couple of you know passes where they did. They there was one that was sort of hit down the line, but then expertly controlled and brought back inside. And there was a first time pass as well that spreaded the play out to the to the left hand side. So it wasn't all just little five yard passes. It was a good mixture, and then a little back heel and a fantastic finish into the top mm. corner from outside the box it was an absolutely brilliant goal down into League 2 then uh, this is the way we're shaping up at the halfway point three teams tied on 41 at the top doesn't get much better than that Chesterfield, Scunthorpe and Burton I saw Scunthorpe play at Gig Lane on Boxing Day I was quite impressed thought they were quite good Sam Winnell is their top scorer I think no joint top scorer in League 2 they've not lost a game have they since old uh, no, Brian Law since, off. since uh, Wilcox Ross Wilcox he's got, he's got the job full time now yeah. by the way um, and Sam Winnell got sent off I think for well firstly for a dive first like, yellow for a dive and second for celebrating too much with the fans behind the goal from that point when they were 2-0 up about 20 minutes to go the game turned and we came back to uh, grab a point last minute Rochdale, Oxford Southend and Newport in the playoff spots and the two teams in the relegation zone are Northampton and Torquay who lost 3-1 at home to Exeter Mr. And still there still he is and on. we have to mention York as well who did lose 2-1 at Gig Lane at the weekend Carl because uh, we had a tweet a little bit earlier on didn't we uh, that's right John Dobson a familiar voice on 
on uh, this podcast on all things York City kind of pleaded with us please to, uh, mention not curse of please Lenny mention Potter. Nigel Worthington beginning to think the Wagyu curse is all that will get him out but he yeah. called it at the start of the yeah. season that's he did. the thing well he said it on this uh, show as well he just didn't want I mean Gary Mills was doing a very good job very pleasing to watch football and Nigel Worthington came in with what about 10 games to go the end of last season just kind of decimated everything that was brought before him. And now, remember the heady days when the League Two contained two European Cup winning managers, <laughs> Gary Mills and Edgar Davids. Big win for <laughs> Paul Cox. One since retired. Edgar Davids got yeah. CSN after getting over there. Paul Cox, good, a good win. I mean, we, last week we talked about Cheltenham and Mansfield. They played each other, and predictably we were talking about Cheltenham's great run and Mansfield's poor run. Mansfield went and won two one. Of course they did. There you go. Uh, right, that is pretty much it for uh, Berry, this though. week. Barry, yes, you're out the bottom two. We are looking good, much better already. Last minute uh, equaliser for you wasn't it yeah in the Boxing Day game yeah Nardiello went mental as if it was a, a hugely you know, important game bouncing around and uh, yeah good win against York on Sunday so things are looking up let's hope might for get a, promoted after all let's hope for a better <laughs> 2014 um, thanks for listening this week uh, we'll be back next week obviously there's a round of games on New Year's Day and then there's the FA Cup isn't who have you, you got who have you got New Year's Day we have got Hartlepool away Carl Swindon oh look at that he has to check his iPad doesn't even know Call yourself a supporter. Hang on. I think it's gone down there. Embarrassing. Well, Watford, has got, uh, Watford have got uh, Yeovil away. Oh. Which is quite the trip to be making nah, we got on, on we got New Year's Day. Home. There you go. So, uh, this is probably another podcast worth of complaining, but for the ninth year in a row, I believe, Swindon were away on Boxing Day. You don't deserve to be at home on Boxing Day, Carl. <laughs> you didn't even know where they were well, playing the next game. They were playing Brentford. Of course, I live a mile from Brentford. Where was I on Boxing Day? I was back in Gloucestershire, so... There you go. Um, Wagyu Podcast, uh, twitter.com slash Wagyu Podcast to get us on Twitter. You can uh, go to the website, read the blogs, we are going up.co.uk and all the bits of the show if you want to listen to particular sections again, soundcloud.com slash Wagyu Podcast. And that is pretty much it. Now, do you know the lyrics to Old Lang Syne? That's what I want to know. Uh, no, How many no, do you I know? I don't. I, really, well, I, just, just I always struggle. Get past, get past the first it. bit. Yeah, and, yeah. and why do we all have to do the linky linky hand thing? Why do we? I don't know. These are the big questions Even I the want queen answered. Had to do it, didn't she, famously? <laughs> she did, the in the Millennium Dome back in the day. I might. I'm just going to stay in and watch Jules Holland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Depressing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, they, they do all Lang Syne as well, don't they? So they you do. Have, you they still do. have to sing along at some point. My own, I've never myself, shake my swat own up on your Robbie Burns. <laughs> I've never forgotten the look of horror on my dad's face when I told him that Jules Holland's Hootenanny wasn't live. <laughs> and it was pre-recorded. He believed it all like. these years. <laughs> right, that's it. Happy New Year, everybody. We will speak to you. Wagyu Hootenanny. We should do. How would, that that take, how would that take shape? We'll be back in <laughs> 2014 from us lot. Happy New Year. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. La, 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 da, 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 With da, old lines on. Are you actually going to stay? Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 